Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a wander with a guest in a location of their choice to explore their life. Today I'm speaking to author, presenter and farmer Adam Hansen. If you're a fan of Countryfile, you'll know Adam as long-standing presenter of the show. However, he's hosted many other programmes and documentaries that all aim to give viewers an education and deeper insight into British farming and agriculture. Adam has openly spoken about losing a close friend, a farmer, to mental illness. The industry has a high rate of mental difficulties and there are often heavy financial burdens. A shocking statistic is that every week, three people in the UK, farming and agricultural industry, die by suicide. Adam's keen to raise awareness of the decline of farmers' mental wellness. Thank you to our sponsors this week, FitFlop. FitFlop has an uncompromising mission to empower us to move better and feel great, which as you'll know by now is so closely aligned with the Stompcast. I've been wearing the Vitamin FF throughout the shooting for Stompcast, and to be honest, for ages before, and they've really kept me feeling uh, supported and comfortable with their lightweight feel and contoured soles. What you might not know about FitFlop is they have an in-house biomechanist, Dr. Kim, who tests all of their shoes, sandals, trainers, and boots to make sure they align with our body's natural movement. That way we can move better and move freely. Not to mention all of their models are tested in the same labs that top performance brands use to test their shoes. So you can really trust that they're going to serve you well. If you're on the lookout for a new pair of trainers, as I said, I've been loving the Vitamin FF while recording the Stompcast or any other style of footwear, just head to fitflop.com. I cannot recommend them high enough. I can honestly say they are my favorite pair of trainers I have ever owned. So I always say, I've always had a love-hate relationship with Countryfile because I love the show, but it always used to remind me that school was the next morning. <laughs> and it was that moment of like, I have to get up and go to school. <laughs> off, um, yeah. But my, yeah, my parents are rather jealous that uh, I'm walking with you today. Thank you so much for having us. And of course, we've got, we've got your lovely sheepdog Gwen with us as well. Yeah, so we're heading off from the Cotswold Farm Park, which is a tourist enterprise my dad started in 1971, heading off on what we call our wildlife walk. And looking ahead of us, we've got this sort of undulating ground, which was hand quarried at the beginning of the century for that beautiful walling stone you see around the Cotswold Hills and roofing slates. And uh, we'll drift off across that, past those ancient hawthorn bushes on our wildlife walk. Well, it's a beautiful spot and it's set in such nice scenery. Now, your, your, your dad got this farm, was it in 1971, you said, was the farm, when you got the farm? That yeah, right? that's correct, yeah. So he took on the farm tenancy here in 62, 1962. Um, my dad was actually an actor's son, so he's first generation farmer. And um, got an assistant farm manager's job as he came out of agricultural college, then farm manager's job, and then took on the tenancy in 1971 collected old-fashioned rare farm animals as well as having a commercial farm with sheep and beef and arable and then 
one day his business partner John Neve said to him, uh, said, you know, we've got a large collection of rare farm animals that the reason they're rare is they're not commercially viable. What are we going to do? So Dad said, well, people go to zoos to look at zoo animals. Why don't they come onto a farm to look at farm animals? And uh, they forged ahead, got permission from the landlord, got planning permission. All his farming mates thought he was nuts. And, uh, <laughs> but he opened the Cotswold Farm Park in 1971, really before farm diversification had been thought of. So he was a bit of a trailblazer. When did that diversification start? Because it was something we learned a little bit at school about definitely being a Welsh boy you know, in the farmlands, the farm, home farmlands in Wales. The pressure on farmers these days to kind of create successful businesses is ever increasing, or that's at least what I hear. What does that diversification really mean and why are projects like this really important for farmers? Yeah, so there's a lot of farms who struggle to make a living to provide for their own family and perhaps others, you know, maybe other generations on the family farm or tenanted farm, particularly sort of marginal beef and sheep farms. So you mentioned you're from Wales, 80% of Wales is left favoured area, so a lot of sheep and beef farmers. And so to provide an income to be able to continue to live and farm on that land, they often diversify in some shape or form. And that can be very far reaching from, you know, driving a lorry at a weekend, having a second job, stacking shelves in a supermarket. But a lot of them would go into Airbnb or have an equine centre. Um, I don't know, do sheepdog demonstrations at the weekend, open a farm park, you know, you name it. There's so many different aspects of diversification out there. But basically, it's something away from traditional farming to substitute or increase their income stream. Well, before we dive into life growing up and how you know you've developed your passion which obviously you've shared really with the whole country of the last god knows is it 15 20 how many years you're in country farm? yeah since it's, 1971 uh, uh, well there we go so for a long, <laughs> not, long not, time not 1971 not, 71, <laughs> say, not that long you're not that old sir <laughs> no 2001 i was gonna say it's, about, it's been about 20 years yeah that's right yeah, so, yeah, when yeah, i'm thinking yeah. about my child yeah. my age when i saw you on there I was, uh, I'm 31, so uh, okay, I was yeah. kind of in end of primary school, I remember. But before we dive into that, I'd love to do, so, do a little activity that I do with every guest on the Stompcast. We're all going to do this together, so listeners join in as well. I want us to all focus on the five senses. So let's start with what we see. What can you see around us? Well, we're in the beautiful rolling Cotswold Hills. It's quite a misty day. There's a bit of drizzle coming in over from the horizon. We can see about 200 white woolly sheep in the distance, and we're just going through a little hunting gate into a spinney, an area where there's some young trees and thorn bushes planted. And alongside us are the um, fences that are pig netting with barbed wire on the top and wooden stakes. And then the countryside is scattered with deciduous woodland, so lovely broadleaf trees. It's a beautiful Cotswold scene. Well, I must say, that's probably the best description we've had so far, <laughs> very detailed. You can tell that you've been doing this a while, sir. Um, it is beautiful, and I think all I can add to that, really, is that I think you have such an expanse of what you can see here. Because you've got that kind of rolling up and down of the hills, that kind of rolling landscape, you can see so much into the distance. It's really... It really is a beautiful part of the world. You can almost tell it's the Cotswolds. I think from the kind of, from the stone kind of wall hedges, is that, is that kind of yeah, characteristic of this that's area? That's right, yeah. I mean, if you think of the stones that represent areas of country, so the Welsh slate, yes, of um, course, the Scottish yeah. granite, the Derbyshire grit stone, uh, you know, those sorts of stones are quite dark and dour on a dull and misty day. Whereas the Cotswold limestone is, is beautiful and yellow and sort of warm all year round. So the cottages and villages around here are built from it. Um, and of course, the dry stone walls, as you mentioned. And um, 
the rolling landscape of the Cotswolds is quite gentle, so it's not like the mountainous regions of the countryside or the very flat areas of yeah. the eastern counties. You know, it does have those beautiful, gentle, rolling hills. It really is uh, today one of those more drizzly days that we, we know in the UK, but to be honest, we've had such warm weather, we can't complain, and actually I think everyone's welcoming some rain. So, in terms of touch, what can you feel? So as we're walking through this sort of spinny, we're walking past lots of different types of trees and bushes. Mm. So we've got some, um, some lovely rowan bushes there with red berries on. We've got some um, blackthorn with slow berries on. Come oh, on, my dog's, Gwen. my dog's getting caught up round a stick. <laughs> um, we've got some blackberries on the thorn bushes. And of course, we're walking along a grassy path. So we can feel the grass brushing past our feet. Also, it's quite windy. We're here at about 900 foot on top of the Cotswolds, and so you can feel the wind blowing against your skin, and it's now the leaves though, under it? our feet nice, too. I really, I love the feeling of wind and rain. I quite like it. You feel, it's really good at kind of grounding you almost, and feeling, you know, grateful that, you know, we're outside, the fact that we can feel and breathe and feel the wind is, is a privilege really, isn't it? I couldn't agree more, and, uh, and I'm a great one for trying to, uh, put your phone away, you know, just walk and smile and listen and feel and, you know, just absorb all of those uh, feelings in the countryside. And yeah, I, I mean, on a, it's not cold. It's just a bit yeah, drizzly. Lovely. And um, it's lovely, really. You know, the grass needs the rain. So pleased to have a bit. Now we're going to come on to your book shortly, um, Two for Joy. It feels like we are very much practicing what I think you talk about in that book. So we're going to come on to that in a, in a little bit. Let's talk about taste. Can you, is there a taste that you can, yeah, a sense of taste that you can have when you're out walking? Do you, do you think there are any tastes that you kind of recognise when you're in the countryside? Or, you know, is there, is there a seasonality to that, do you think? I think there are tastes of things that you can pick off the bushes and eat. Yeah. And if you're careful, you know, you know your mushrooms, right what you can pick. <laughs> so um, we'll, you know, there's blackberries um, on the bushes that we can pick and eat. And that provides, of course, a, a definite taste. But if you're not about to consume something and you're just walking along, smell and taste are similar in a way. And yes, I think that that taste of, of whatever you're walking past, whatever the vegetation is, you know, definitely you get a feeling for that. Not strong, but subtle. Do you know, really, it, walking on here it takes me back to a memory of childhood of mine. I grew up outside Nankoridic, have you heard of Nankoridic in Westwood? No. Well, Carmarthenshire Way, which yeah. I'm sure you certainly will know. Um, and the, the kind of fields similar to this, I guess, and there's so many different blackberry bushes and stuff. And as a child, we used to go and pick them. And then my mum would make a blackberry crumble for that weekend or whatever, but then she'd freeze the rest for the winter. So I don't know why, just something about this like kind of reminds me of, of those times. It's, it's quite nostalgic in a way. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, my mum used to do great um, blackberry and uh, apple pie. You yeah. know, it was one of my favourites. She made fantastic pastry, my mum, and uh, used to put far too much sugar in it, probably, <laughs> and into the pie. Um, but it's one of my favourites, you know, going out, picking blackberries, apples as well, off the farm, and uh, making blackberry and apple pie. Uh, I tried to make it, but nowhere near as well as she used to. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think back, and I had no idea when I was doing that, that I really was practising, like, grounding. You know, like, you talked about putting your phone away. You know, kids these days are just sucked in their phone the average child spends between three or four hours a day on their phone we didn't i didn't have phones when i was when i was like eight nine ten years old you know it was getting outside playing and if you we're literally walking past a blackberry bush now 
um, you know, you'd be picking these, tasting them, you'd have the brushing across the grass, you'd feel the sun on your skin. They were so much just keeping you in that moment. But so much of modern life is just pulling us away from that, isn't it? It is, and, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I think there's definitely a space for it, and there's an incredible way you can learn using lots of modern technology and instant information that's at your fingertips. But I think it is really important to put those things away sometimes and just appreciate your surroundings and open your eyes and your nose and your ears and just, you know, have a look and have a smile and have a listen and, and try and appreciate what's around you. And actually, it's quite handy sometimes to have your phone in your pocket when you're out in the countryside because you might come across a plant or an insect. Well, your country file clips the photos that people take and send <laughs> yeah. in, of course. Uh, so, yes, you can take photographs, but also you get these apps that you can point it at a flower and it'll tell you what it is. So, yeah. it'll help you learn while you're out. I actually um, use that. <laughs> My, I use that when my plants are dying in my uh, in my on my balcony in London. I don't know. Sadly, I don't have space to have a lot of uh, greenery, but I have a few bits. And if it's kind of looking a bit peaky, I just get the app out, and it's like, yes, you, you need to do this, that, or the other to it. So it's very clever. What about hearing? What can we hear? So I just heard a little bird squeak. I don't know what it was. I didn't recognise it, um, but we can definitely hear the wind. We try and give everyone a little bit of ASMR. Charlie, do you reckon they can hear the? Uh, do you reckon they can hear the rain on this or not? That's like 10th, it's like, hey, did you get it? Did you get it? Okay, we managed to give you guys a bit of that. <laughs> Definitely wind, I can hear the wind, yeah. right? And um, in fact, you know, the wind blowing through the trees and, and that's about all I can hear. There's a big flock of sheep over there, but they're settled at the moment. Yeah. They're not bleating, they're not calling out to one another. Ah, that's not what they call bleating is when yeah. they're calling, is that? There we are, we're, le and, we're um, learning here. There's a big limestone quarry where they quarry the walling stone, roofing slate over to the left-hand side. And usually they can hear a digger working or crushing the stone, but there's nothing. Not much noise going on over there either. So actually, it's um, very quiet. In terms of smell, I, I always think that when it rains, especially when the ground's been dry, it's been very warm, there's almost a slight smell that you can have. It's almost like, you know, when, when there's storms coming, sometimes you can smell that, can't you, that there's a storm, but... Yeah, there is a reaction can... in the plants um, that creates a, a pheromone, a smell. And so it is, you can, you know, when people say they can smell the rain, you can. Oh, and it's, the, it's, the, it's actually the ground you can smell that's letting off the scents um, from the rain hitting it. It's a, it's a really, especially after a period of time where it's been so dry, it is such a, such a lovely smell. I'd like to ask you, how often do you actually get out and about for a stomp? Because I'd imagine doing, you know, doing what you do, A, with Country Farm, but B, also running this, the whole show. Do you get time to do this and get out for your own time and yeah, out for a walk? Every day and sometimes twice a day. So because I've got dogs, I've got a couple of house dogs, I've got a miniature wirehead Dachshund, a Hungarian wirehead Vizsla and two border collies. Oh wow, you love your dogs. So I have to get them out in the morning and take them for a walk and give them a little bit of exercise. So I do that before we start work in the morning and then I quite often go for 10 minutes at lunchtime and then always after work as well. Um, unless we're finishing very late and it's pitch black. But actually, even then, I, I always go for a walk with the dogs about 11 o'clock at night. So I'm out a lot with them, really. Um, and I'm the type of person that can't sit still for long. So if I'm sitting at a computer, answering emails, writing something, you know, doing something, an hour, hour and a half is all I can cope with. And so as soon as that, I'll just get up, go and get the dog and go for a stomp and go for a walk. And then I come back feeling refreshed and, uh, and start again. It's interesting because a lot of people listening might think, well, you, you're on the farm and you're, in, you're outside all, all the time. Do you need to segregate that time? But 
I guess if you're if you're really busy, there's things you've got to do, and also if you're in the office or whatever, you're getting pulled away. You can actually be distracted from the beauty, can't you? If you're so busy, you have to. Well, do you have to make time? Do you kind of say, right, I'm going out for this this walk now. This is important. Yeah, you do definitely. Um, you know, if you're working with livestock or you're working with machinery, you know, you're committed to that job at that time, and that comes with all its emotions and everything you're doing and you're often out in the great outdoors doing those jobs um, but yes to, to make time when you're when you can relax and you can turn off a bit and you know think a little bit as well I have to make time for that and and I do and I try to as much as I can yeah I think it's something that I don't know about you but I think the younger generation could, I really hope, I mean, the whole mission with the Stompcast, and I want to say as well, thank you to everyone that's been listening. We've, we've actually been really blown away since we started this. You think, well, we came up with the concept of, this, of the Stompcast about a year and a half, two years ago. When we launched it, you don't know, like, will people get out and listen? You know, they'll be like, oh, what is, what's this new podcast? But the response has been, unbe like, unbelievable. And so many people going, do you know what, Alex? I've never got out just to walk for walking's sake. It's always been A to B. Yeah. And when I was younger, it was so important, you know, and I didn't realise at the time, but for my own mental health, after school, I'd always go out for a long walk, I'd take the dog, and I'd always feel better afterwards. I didn't really understand perhaps why, but I, I really feel for the younger generation, I hope that they, you know, see the benefits of just moving. It's such a simple thing to do, to get out and go for a walk, but phone down and, you know, eyes to the horizon. I had a psychologist on the podcast a few weeks ago, Dr. Julie, and, and she was saying that a lot of the studies now are saying that when we, we look up to the horizon, and we're looking at the horizon while we're, we're walking or, or we're moving, there's a therapeutic effect on the brain. And it, and it makes sense because one of the um, treatments or therapies that we know, EMDR, um, it's eye movement therapy basically for trauma. And it's based on that same concept. There's something about getting outside, looking out and just seeing that really, really helps us. Couldn't agree more. You know, if we just stand here, we've just wandered into an area that's a special site of scientific interest. So this is a triple SI, an area that we don't farm. We do graze our rare breeds of uh, cattle and horses here in the winter to rip off the rough grassland to allow the wildflowers to grow. And if we stand here, we can look across all sorts of different vegetation. We've got wildflowers, um, we've got harebells, we've got vipers bugleus with that beautiful blue flower. Yeah, um, we've got some thorn bushes in front of us and some of them are covered in beautiful purpley coloured sloes ready to be picked um, to make a slow gin in the winter. Ooh, we've got some fir trees and then this undulating ground that again was hand quarried. And there's birds flying around, maybe just the odd pigeon or the odd rook. If you look across there, you see that uh, flock yeah. of, um, I suspect they're those? little um, tits of some description. Yeah. Uh, they're Taking probably flight. little great tits. They're going to fly right over I us, always wonder they? when there's all these, look, if you look at them, how do they know which way they're going? Like, who is the leader? Is there <laughs> one lead bird? That's what I always wonder. I don't know. I think they're little linnets, actually. I don't know. They must have a feeling of where they're going to the next food. I think they're probably talking to each other and there'll be some... The mums and dads are probably taking the fledglings for a fly around. I don't really know. It blows but, my mind. Is it swallows that go all the way to... Which ones go yeah, to South so Africa? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot how, of migratory birds. How do birds. they know that to come back? Just, I, I can't understand. Do we know how they know? I don't think so. No. And it's a, I mean, nature all around us is, is pretty amazing. I think there's so much that we don't know that we just take for granted. But as you say, you know, it's very easy to walk through an area like this and not... You're right. Look and listen. And, so and some you know, of stomping is actually stopping and just just looking just looking around and, 
and, to, and almost practicing those senses here without even realizing we are doing. We're thinking, what can you feel? What can you smell? What can you see? And what, what can you recognize? And what don't you recognize? And if you don't recognize it, you know, maybe get your C cup or whatever you may use to understand what they are. So I'm immediately drawn over to there to that little bush which yes. is covered in apples and oh, wow. i don't know whether you've ever had crab apple jelly but they're crab apples oh, so you wouldn't beautiful. want to eat them straight off the bush because they're very bitter but if you apples. make beautiful little um sweet jelly you can make from oh. crab apples i'm sure the listeners mouths watering as well Mine is, like, <laughs> oh, it's lovely you're absolutely you could you could just march through this and so so much of um modern life and i think i particularly feel this in london is everyone racing a to b getting down to destination get through the day that almost we're losing that you know enjoyment of just being where we are being present and i feel like that is a great shame because life you know the world there's lots of darkness and bad things and all that kind of stuff but there's also so much beauty all around us isn't there not to sound corny but there really is like yeah, there is, yeah. Oh, through, a squeak, through a squeaky gate now. A beautiful noise. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> on that note. Yeah, on the um, wildlife walk we have around from the farm park, we've got these um, lovely posts with this information board on them. So it tells you about the wildlife here. So about here we've got stoats, badgers, all about the brown hare, the deer. Because when families come on this walk, you know, there might yeah. be mum and dad and their kids. Yeah. And the mum and dad won't know everything. And so it's really good for them to learn together and to share together and then to try and spot things. And you're right, it's about being present. And I'm guilty as any parent. I've got two kids who are, you know, one's 24 and one's 19. But I would bring them out onto the farm and we would spot things and we would talk about things and we'd, you know, talk about the stuff we found. And, you know, it's exciting to spot a hare. And, I would quiz them on what's a male hair called, yeah. what's a female hair called, you know, where do they live? They live in a scrape and they have... You have to tell in... us now, what is a male hair called? So they're called, they're bucks and bucks, bucks and does. Oh no, sorry, what am I That's talking deer, about? No, they're, no, bucks and does are rabbits, jacks and jills are hares. Jacks and jill. A and jack they're... and jill went up the hill, they go, I'm not sure it has nothing to do with that, but we can remember it that way. So and a learning. baby hair is a... No idea. A leveret. Le a leveret. <laughs> they don't go under the ground like a rabbit. They have a scrape that they lie on the surface. And if we walk out here, nine times out of ten, I bet you'd find a hare. And they'll lie down with their ears flat to the ground. And when you get closer, they put their ears up and they'll run and spring away. And there's a thing about boxing hares. Okay. And so hares that come and you see them fighting and jumping in the air and fighting. You often see people make sculptures and paintings out of hares boxing. And often people think it's the males fighting. But it isn't. It's the female batting away the male because they'll get scent of her when she's coming ah. into season and they'll follow her and if she's not ready to mate she'll turn around and she'll give them a tell good kicking exactly. and get that's away. the hare's boxing ah. so there's all those little things that you know as a parent it's so easy to wander around looking at your phone and you know and, and not yeah. being present with your kids but isn't it part of it as well it's not just about the art of learning and how, how, how amazing that is but also you know we're talking about climate change a lot quite rightly at the moment you know, I feel like if, if people understand how amazing nature is and like how clever it is and how like wonderful it is, then we're driven more to look after it, aren't we? The next generation, well, it's not even, to be fair, I'll tell you like this, it's not the next generation as well. We, we need to sort it, actually the generation above and our generation need to sort it out, quite frankly. But if we, you know, if we can all learn a bit more and understand how incredible it is, we might look after it a bit better. I couldn't agree more. I'm a big advocate for trying to get a GCSE in agriculture, land use and conservation. Things are fantastic. You know, idea. we learn about history. We learn about religion. Rightly so. You know, those yeah. are great subjects yeah, yeah. to learn. But why don't we learn about the stuff we eat yeah. and where it comes yeah. from and how it's produced and how the land is managed? And you wake up 
one morning, you know, you have a question about what you're going to feed your newborn child. And actually, then you'd think, well, actually, I don't really know much about nutrition. I don't yeah. know. You know, I've been shoving ready meals down myself ever since while I was a student. Yeah. Now what do I do? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And well, so, you know, it, it, to make informed choices about life and climate and nutrition, it is really important to learn. But, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. I think as agriculturalists and as farmers, I feel a huge responsibility to not only look after the environment, but also to produce very healthy food as efficiently as possible. So each week I ask my guest about what's in their stomping toolkit. So what do you, what must you grab when you go out the door? I think we've already <laughs> answered a few, you've got about five dogs to grab, is that right? Yeah, so Alex, I feel completely unprepared having come out for a stomp with you <laughs> as, a, as a stomping podcaster, <laughs> because I've bought nothing apart from my dog. And so, um, I think it's really nice if you can if you bring your binoculars. I always carry my binoculars around with me in my truck, and uh, I didn't pick them up when we came out. Suitable clothing, you know. Everyone talks about walking in the countryside, you know. Good pair of boots, you know. Maybe a, maybe a coat if you're going to get wet, and um, a drink and a bit of refreshments if you're going for a long way. It's so you like nice to go to simple. You like to yeah, go simple. Yeah, and nothing nothing more than that really. Um, a dog if there's one handy and I want to take it with me. So I don't think you need a lot, um, particularly. If it's just a short walk in the countryside, the, the walk we're doing is a mile and a half, two miles, and you don't need no. very much for that. No, it's kind of, it, almost the simplicity is the beauty, you know, you, just, you are just trying to leave as much behind as you can. I guess you have your phone in your pocket, but you know, trying to keep it in the pocket as much as possible and just actually enjoy time with the dogs and, and nature. Yes, and when I've got a dog with me, I'll try and keep them under close control or on a lead. Because in an area like this, there's wild birds, often ground nesting birds, and I don't really want to be disturbing everything with a mad dog charging around in amongst yeah, it all. True. In a big open arable field or grass field, I'll let them off and they'll have a charge around and let off a bit of steam. But in more sensitive areas, I'll make sure they're, they're cut. And that's actually a note control. for any dog owner. I'm a dog owner. Like that is a note for any dog owners, really. Just have a think about the environment you're in because there's nothing worse when you see a dog off the lead chasing, you know, sheep or, I mean, I. I lived for a while in Richmond Park and dogs would be allowed off and chasing the deer and stuff. It's just not something we want to see. So yeah, it's unacceptable be careful, really. Be and, careful. You know, there's the countryside code that everyone should be aware of and leaving gates as you find them, picking up litter, you know, and keeping your dog under close control or on, or on a lead. So yeah, I mean, particularly with livestock and particularly in the spring around lambing time, Yes. you know, if you've got a flock of ewes, they may be heavily pregnant um, or with young lambs at foot. And the last thing you want is your dog charging around amongst them. Thanks once again to our sponsor this week, Fitflop. Remember, if you want to stomp in utmost comfort with shoes that are powered by science, head to fitflop.com and bag yourself a pair of supercharged footwear, whether you're shopping for men or women. Right, we've come to the end of part one, so I hope you've really enjoyed the stomp so far, everyone. If you're going to carry on listening, head over to part two, where we'll continue the stomp in Cotswold Farm Park. Anyway, have a good day and see you very soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.